Acts chapter 1, if you would please. Acts and chapter number 1. Acts chapter 1. Our text tonight is going to be verse 12 through verse 26, but let's just go ahead and begin reading in verse 1 so as to get uh, the context here. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when, they, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him, out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing uh, gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, so shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer, and supplication with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and hath obtained, had obtained part of this ministry. Now, this man, this is not the words of Peter to that group, but the words of Luke to Theophilus, helping him to understand. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in the proper tongue... Um, Akeldama, which is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishop, let no, 
let another take. I'm sorry. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsabas, uh, which was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And then, of course, in chapter 2, it talks about how that when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And so tonight, I'd like to preach to you um, from this section, from verse 12 through the rest of chapter 1, before the arrival of the day of Pentecost, what I'm entitling uh, tonight, and not in any way to be irreverent, I uh, sure don't want to do that, but entitling this this way, preparing for a big day. You know, we talk about a big day. Well, obviously, what's going to take place on Pente- at Pentecost is big. It's big. And so this is uh, the church at this time preparing for this big day. May God bless the reading of his word as your seated will get into the message tonight. <clears throat> might mention a few big days in uh, our lives, uh, days that we would consider big. Your wedding day, it's a big day, it's a big day. Uh, of course, the day you were saved, that's a big day. The day you were baptized, the day you joined Southwest Baptist Church, big day. Um, the day, uh, though, that you were married, that is obviously a big day. In fact, you ought to remember your anniversary, men. It's a big day. The day your first child was born. The day your second child was born, the third, the fourth, fifth, however many God gives you. Every day like that's a big day. Big day. OU Texas, it's a big day. <laughs> I'm not staying there. I'm moving on. Next big day, Bedlam. You know, it just kind of, in this area, it goes by football season as to what big days are, right? Another big day, uh, the opening day of rifle season. These big days. Thanksgiving, that's a big day. I love Thanksgiving Day. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving for some, big day. <laughs> Others, no. Uh, the Christmas cantata, that's a big day for the choir. They're already, uh, already in the month of September started singing Christmas songs. Isn't that great? Getting ready, though. That's a big day. It's a big day. Of course, Christmas. All these are big days, New Year's Day and so forth. These are big days. On our calendar, as it pertains to Southwest Baptist Church, as I look in the next uh, few weeks, two big days. Uh, Of course, we have the celebration and moving ahead Sunday. That's a big day. Celebrating 61 years of Southwest Baptist Church. It's it's a big deal. I I thank God for um, the ministry of Southwest Baptist Church. It's been such a blessing to meet with the new members and tell them a little bit more about the church. But that's what we call Celebration Sunday. It's our church anniversary. Just celebrated 60 years last year, and so this is the 61st year. We'll have testimonies and, of course, singing and preaching and so so forth. so it's a, it's a big day. And then we also call it Moving Ahead Sunday. The reason we call it Moving Ahead all in one day. Why do you do it all in one day? Well, we need to celebrate what God has done in the past, but don't stay in the past. 
We've got to look ahead and move ahead to what God is intending to do in the future, in the immediate future as well as in the distant future. And so um, that Moving Ahead Sunday, uh, I look forward to it, introducing to you as a church the new theme for 2013. Uh, and so that's the, what we do on that in that night service. And then also our Moving Ahead Financial Partnership Plan. And, and uh, I'm, I'm telling you, we're still enjoying this building here, the educational building and and what God has allowed us to uh, take part in. But there's a lot of other projects that need to be taken care of. Thank God for the parking lot. Somebody say amen that that's finished officially and done and in place. And it rained this past week real big, but it wasn't a big deal because now there's not just mud out there. I'm telling you, that's a lot better to park in than what we had. And sure, thank God for it. He supplied the need and it took a little bit longer than what we were anticipating. But hey, thank God it's done and and can rejoice in that. And there's other projects here at Southwest, uh, renovations or updates that need to be made. And there's always going to be projects, and so there's always going to be the need to move ahead, to move ahead. That's November the 4th. November the 11th is uh, Friend Day. That's a big day. Love Friend Day. Uh, we have one service that morning, not Sunday school and church, uh, but what, one service at 1030. A little bit different, of course, than what we normally do. But uh, people work and begin signing up Friend Day uh, cards. And uh, what you do is you take this card, fill it out on your friend, and then we'll mail them a reminder about it and a little bit of information. We'll have gifts we're going to give out on that day. We give out the book Done, which is a very good presentation of the gospel. And so just a, a very big day. In fact, this is kind of a neat little story here. Um, I, was, I forgot my jacket out in the car uh, before church. And... Um, I, Probably ought to have my jacket as a pastor and being in here. I had my Bible, isn't that enough? But anyways, I <laughs> left my jacket in the car. So I went out to uh, grab my jacket, saw this uh, uh, gentleman walking up the road. I thought, man, this is great. It was time just right. We were getting there about the same time. I said, hey, where are you, you know, how are you doing? What's your name? And he introduced, my, introduced himself to me and said, hey, I'd like to introduce you to the church. It's right here. It's easy to show him where the directions were. It's just right here. He said, well, I'm just new to the community, and I was looking for a church. So I signed him up for Friend Day, just like that. So see how easy that is. You just walk out the door, and just there they are. <laughs> so I signed up Brandon Nichols, and uh, where he lives, just a little bit south of the church. I'm telling you, it was really amazing the timing, because somebody pulled up about that time to pick him up. It was just like right then. It was just a little window of time. So I'm glad I forgot my jacket. There's the moral of the story. Doesn't matter if you forget. God's got a purpose in it, right? So, friend day, big day, though. That's a big day. I've got some others. I've tried to collect some prospects in my phone and just uh, uh, some names and individuals. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to get my uh, oil changed. And so the guys have been working there uh, with them, Hazan and and, Om, and uh, a gentleman named um, Mohammed and, and some other guys that I'm going to try to sign up tomorrow uh, for friend day. And, and uh, Amir, that's the other guy's name I was trying to think of. And so... Uh, have some people in mind and then go after them, you know. And uh, so you work with people that are sinners. Uh, I do too, but they're saved sinners. And so I have to... <laughs> that was a low shot, wasn't it? It's true though, sure. And they work with somebody that's a sinner too and just happens to be the pastor, but he's saved and on his way to heaven. But I think you get what I mean. Uh, uh, depending on where you work, you may be around people all the time. You may have to make a special effort. But here's the point. It's a big day. Now, there's a 
there's a connection between these two big days, uh, between Moving Ahead Celebration Sunday and Friend Day. Here's the common denominator. Here's, here's the things that those two days, and really every Sunday, has in common. The gospel. What are we celebrating? Well, we're celebrating the, the blessing and privilege of God to have been entrusted as Southwest Baptist Church with the gospel for 61 years. That's a, that's a high honor. Why are we going to fill out moving ahead financial partnership uh, plan cards? Why are we going to do that? Well, because we believe that the gospel has not yet reached the extent to which it needs to reach because we are still here. And thus the need to move ahead, not for the sake of a facility and, and having those things. Listen, we don't need to become frivolous, but we do need to move ahead so as to be prepared to receive people for the sake of the gospel. That's the, that's the big need. Why, why have a parking lot? Well, so that they can have a place to park so they can come in and hear the gospel. Okay? So it's connected to the gospel. Obviously, I don't have to say a whole lot about it with Friend Day. Obvious connection with the gospel. As it will be preached and, and uh, testimonies will be a part of the day and the music will point that direction. So that is the common denominator. A big day... A big day was ahead of the life of the church in Jerusalem. The first independent fundamental Baptist church in, of all time. A big day. A big day was ahead of them. I would say they didn't quite understand all that that day would entail. They didn't know what all their future was going to be, but they, know, they knew what Jesus told them to do. To wait in Jerusalem for the coming of the Spirit of God. And it would come upon the day called Pentecost. God's purpose in Pentecost, as we'll see, was that they might give witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day of Pentecost comes 50 days after the Passover. Pentecost was in the Old Testament. It's a part, it's a Jewish Festival, it's a Jewish big day. It's a Jewish high day. It's also uh, called in, in Exodus chapter 23, the Feast of Harvest, where they would celebrate the first fruits. First fruits. And so it would be a day that they would gather together. People would come from all over to come into the place of Jerusalem to celebrate the first fruits, you understand what, he's, what that's talking about there, their harvest? It wasn't the end time harvest that would come later at the end of the year. This would be up front when they had the first fruits come in. Then 50 days after, after uh, Passover, they would celebrate Pentecost. It was a time to celebrate the first fruits, the first harvest. You see what God is doing? He's saying, I've got a big day ahead of the church. Jesus died as the Passover lamb. Fifty days later, I want you to celebrate the first harvest that I'm going to bring in. And it was a bumper crop. 3,000 Jews saved on that one day. And the first harvesters were the apostles and the church at that time. It's a big day. It's a big day. We'll see that a little bit later, but that's what God is doing. God was preparing them to stand up on that day to give witness to the gospel. Everybody get that? God was preparing them 
to stand on that day to give witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what their intent was on the day of Pentecost. We're going to see that. That God gathered all the Jews together so that these 12 apostles could stand and say in many languages, Jesus was crucified, was buried, and rose again. They, God prepared them for that big day, and the intent of that big day was to give witness to the gospel. Okay, now, now let's connect some dots here early on so that you see that there's some purpose in this. Because you might have read as I was reading through Acts chapter 1 and thinking, okay, now what in the world are we supposed to get out of this? We're not appointing apostles tonight, right? Right. So what does this have to do with us? That's a very good question and one that we need to address. But the initial connection would be this. They were preparing for a big day that had to do with the presentation of the gospel. We in our church life in 2012 are getting ready for some big days that has everything to do with the presentation of the gospel. So there must be something here that we could glean from these uh, verses that we read here in Acts in chapter number 1. Luke is uh, writing to this man named Theophilus to prompt him, as we've seen. I'm not going to over-reiterate. I don't intend to do that. But he is prompting him to share the gospel. Don't be ashamed. Share the gospel. Please keep in mind, Theophilus was not, as far as we know, he was not a pastor. He was not a preacher. He was not a missionary, as far as we know. He probably was a businessman in that day and time. He was somebody going to work or owned his own business. He was like you. Many of you, if you go into work or have your own business, you may not be called a full-time ministry, but as a Christian, you're called a full-time witnessing. I'm looking at all of God's witnesses. Yep. Okay? So you are to be a witness where you are. That's Luke's intent. And that's really what the whole book of Acts is about. It's not a manual on church life. He's writing to a man named Theophilus who was a member of a church, but he's not leading a church. Does everybody get that? Are there things we can learn here? Sure. But we would do well to look at the epistles that were written to churches for a manual on church life. Luke, watch this now. I I think this is very important that we get this, lest we um, make some mistakes along the way. Um, in, in this sense of building a temple where the gospels only has a tent. Everybody catch that? There are times when a preacher, I'll, I'll just confess, as preachers we can be guilty of this, oh man, look what I found here. And go to preaching it, and it may or may not be there. What our intent is, is we've got to let Luke's intent drive our intent. And Luke has one intent. The gospel is valid about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at God's hand on the spread of the gospel. Therefore, Theophilus, spread it. That's his intent. All the way throughout. You see, the whole thing's about that? Yes. Now... uh, now, think about this. I think this will help you as well. Let's say we're on a journey. We're going to drive from here. Okay, I'm going to Kentucky. All right, so we're going to go this week, all of us together. Wouldn't that be a great ordination service? So we're all, we're on a road trip, a missions trip to Kentucky. All right, so 
Prepare to take your shoes off and come into the land where people don't wear shoes. Isn't that how Kentucky's known? You know why? Because it's holy ground, brother. You just take your <laughs> shoes. No, that's not why. I'm sorry. That was a bad joke. But but any case, so we're driving, all right? So we're going we're gonna to go through Springfield and... And on the way, you know, there's a lot of things we could point out on the way. Isn't that right? I mean, we could stop in Tulsa. We could see some sites there. And, and we could see some Route 66 type stuff. We could stop off in Joplin. And then we could stop off uh, there in Springfield and eat some good cashew chicken. And I could show you some sites in Springfield. And then we could drive on and get on Highway 60 and go across the southern part of, of Missouri and go through the Mark Twain National Forest and enjoy some scenery and see uh, Blue Springs and some other stuff. I'm telling you some good stuff in the Ozarks, my friend, and, and go across there, that boot hill, and then go across the, uh, the uh, Mississippi River and the Ohio River and come into Paducah. <laughs> that just sounds like a hick town, doesn't it? Paducah. Well, that's where we'd end up. Now, there's a lot of sites that we could see along the way, but here's our intent. Our intent is to go from Oklahoma City to Paducah, Kentucky. Now, there's a lot of things that we could see along the way that would be valid things. But our intent is to get to Paducah, Kentucky. We can't spend a whole lot of time in all these other areas. Otherwise, we're never going to get to Paducah, Kentucky. There's a lot of things that we can learn in our journey of the book of Acts. There's going to be a lot of truths that I'm going to bring out even tonight that I think are very valid truths. In other words, Tulsa's a real city. Joplin's a real city. Springfield's a real city. All these places are real places and have a lot of interest there. But our intent is to get move through the gospel of Acts and we, and we really can't spend a lot of time at every place. Otherwise, you're not going to live the whole time that I'm preaching through the gospel, the time of Acts and I won't make it. You say, by that time you you get through it, if you spend as much time as you could at every little point, Jesus surely would have come again. Okay? So that's not our intent. But, since we're on this journey, let's not miss some beautiful sights. Enjoy some good meals. Okay? Does Does that help you? So here's what we're doing. God's intent then is God's intent now. So God's intent then was to prompt Theophilus to to be a friend of people and sign people up at that time to let them hear the gospel. Our intent now is the same as that. God's intent in our lives. Same thing. Same thing. Okay, so that said, how did the church prepare to give witness to the gospel? How did they prepare? Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the coming of the Spirit. He was indicating then that they could not do the work of the gospel without the help of the Spirit of God. They could not. It'd be like uh, Brother Unruh asking me uh, to come uh, to Sri Lanka and and for him to ask now, how are you going to get here? I thought I'd walk. I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Or it's going to take an incredible long time to even try to make it, right? It's not going to happen. It's a given. I've got to get in a plane to get there. Look, for, for the church to say, we're going to do this in our own power, would be as ridiculous as us saying, okay, let's go to Sri Lanka and we better start walking now. Okay, it's ridiculous. You need the power of the airplane in order to get there. For the gospel to travel where it's got to travel, it's going to take the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Spirit of God. They could not do it by their, by their great oratory skills. They really had none. We're talking about fishermen here and unlearned men that had not been through seminary. We're talking about just ordinary people, tax collectors and zealots, people that were nationalists in the sense of Simon. And I'm, I'm talking about people that came from all kinds of backgrounds 
But when the Spirit of God came upon them, they gave great evidence to the the truth of the gospel. The Spirit of God is going to change things and make them very bold. And, and so they, when they heard about the Spirit coming, they made this connection. Must be that Jesus wants to set up the kingdom. Jesus did not deny the, the reality of a physical, literal kingdom that had to do with ethnic Israel. He just said, wait a minute, time out, not yet. There is an interval of time between my ascension and my second coming. Many have referred to it as the church age. Basically, we could refer to it as this, an opportunity to spread the gospel everywhere right now. That's it. We are in that same exact time frame. So it is right and proper that Southwest Baptist Church has been involved in the ordination service of David Merlo to go to Argentina, of, of Derek Pemberton to go to North India, of Mark Armstrong to go to Paducah, Kentucky, and all these other individuals. It's right that we are involved in that kind of business because that is the business of the church. It's right we're running buses. Even in a time of when it's costing a lot of money. To run buses. No, come on. I mean, it is. Uh, you filled up lately, right? It's not going to probably get a whole lot cheaper. But it still is right to go and pick up kids with the bus for the sake of the gospel. Brother uh, Matt Cornell yesterday gave a testimony in the bus meeting about uh, on the ride from where they're going, Dell City, uh, Midwest City, picking up kids, bringing them in. They've got time, but it's good for every bus route to have a program on the bus. I mean, you give kids just free time. You may not make it. So they have a program on the bus and they have a lesson on the bus. They're teaching them from the time they pick them up. They're singing songs and so forth, sitting down with them one-on-one, having a program on that bus, uh, teaching a five to ten minute lesson on the bus so that kids can hear the gospel. They come here and they get in Sunday school. They hear the gospel. They hear Bible stories. They go to junior church. They hear these stories. What, what is the church all about here? Well, it's about propagating one message, and that being the message of the Word of God in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's right that we're doing that. Thank God for a choir who shows up and sacrifices some of their international Baptist nap time on a Sunday afternoon to come and uh, prepare to sing about the gospel, to sing the gospel, and also to sing songs that just make us reflect and thank God for the fact that we've been recipients of the gospel. Certainly is. Basically, in moving ahead, when we fill out that card about, you know, what are are you going to commit? Of course, we have, everybody ought to be tithing. I mean, that's just a given uh, from the scriptures. And uh, there wasn't enough amens right there. Maybe I caught you off guard. Everybody ought to be tithing. All God's members of the church ought to be tithing and, and, uh, and then participating by way of faith promise missions. But even on top of that, even in these times, uh, giving place to and, and precedent to uh, the moving ahead aspect of it so that we can move ahead. Here's what we're doing. We're voting on people receiving the gospel. When you cast that card, that's what we're voting on. Pastor Ken Newport, uh, some are from that church there in Ponca City, Second Baptist Church in Ponca City. Uh, this past um, Tuesday, Brother Ted and I were able to go to a preacher's meeting. And he shared this. He said um, in their, some of their staff meetings and, and pre- preparations for the new year, he would maybe walk in uh, with a whiteboard and talk about, okay, what are some ideas and things that we could do this year? 
you know, to, uh, as far as the church, church goes, church work. So kind of a blank board. Let's get some ideas going. So what, what, do we, what do we need to do as a church? What if I did that tonight? What do we need to do as a church? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? He said, you know, as I got to thinking about that, that's way too open-ended. It's not what do we want to do. It's not like we're going to go out in the survey and say, okay, now, tell us. What kind of church do you want? Did you notice as we read through these verses, it wasn't like the first church went out in the streets of Jerusalem and said, now, wait a minute. Tell us what kind of church do you want? What kind of a what? They didn't, Peter stood up and, said, and he didn't stand up and say, okay, guys, um, what, what do you think we ought to do as a church? That's not what they did. So Brother Newport said this. This is what he began to do. On that whiteboard, he wrote this one word. Gospel. What can we do this year to get the gospel out to all these different locations? Now that changes everything. See, this is the one thing that we're to be doing. For his namesake, taking the gospel of his resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection everywhere. So tonight we start with this. There may be a lot of things that we do around this, but everything needs to be connected to this. If it can't be connected to this, maybe we ought not to be doing it. It could be something that's taking away our energy and time from doing this. So the church said, what should we do? Well, Jesus told them one thing to do. And as they gathered there, they gathered to pray. And thus they began to pray with one accord there in Jerusalem. That's what they did then. Another thing that they did, as we're going to see here uh, tonight, is that they appointed spiritual leadership in a special fashion, something unique to them. Uh, but they were concerned about that. If you uh, took that specific and you backed it up to a generality, then you'd say they appointed an apostle, someone who would stand and give witness to the gospel. We're going to need spiritual leadership as we move forward in a church life. That would be the application we could make. And so there would be spiritual leadership having to do with the gospel. They would pray because of the gospel. They would have leadership because of the gospel. What else could we add? Well, we could go on and we probably will in the course of this Next little bit of time that we have together here tonight. But let's first of all consider this first church. I want to point just a few things out, so grab your Bible and follow me. Um, that's almost a bus song in it, all right? Sorry. Uh, but grab your Bible and follow along in verse number 12 and following here. Let's see what they did in, in, for the sake of the gospel. They, of course, gathered. They returned to Jerusalem. They gathered, gathered in an upper room with just some normal men, some hardworking men, men whose ambition got in their way every now and then. Uh, some who had been sympathetic to Rome, some who wanted to overthrow Rome with the sword. We're talking about a hodgepodge of men, men who needed a shepherd in their life, men who had failed, men who needed forgiveness, but men who found all they needed in Jesus. That's who we find there in those verses that record their names. It says they were gathered in one accord. Did you see that in verse number 14? They, these were gathered in one accord. That means they had one mind. One purpose, a common consent, one drive. They were of one accord. Notice this, it says that there were women present. It's very significant in their day and time that the women were present then. 
That's not always the case in, the, in their day and time, but women played an important role in the church. Watch this. This is one of those, one of these, uh, as we're in our journey, this is one of these places where we're stopping off here in this verse to observe a few of the sites. So we're going to get out. Are you with me? We're going to get out and we're going to look at this verse, and then we're going to have to get back in the bus and move on. But here we see women are involved and participating in the propagation of the gospel without serving as the church leadership. Yep. They were not appointed as pastors and apostles and so forth, but that did not minimize their importance. Actually, Jesus elevated their significance, and women like Mary Magdalene and other Mary and Martha and different ones, they gave, in fact, they were the first to the tomb. These same women that would have been here in this gathering were the first ones to the tomb. They believed the resurrection even before the men did. See, the women get it right first. Okay, that wasn't popular, but I'm going to move on. Okay, I want you to notice something else as we're at this stop. Mary was present. Mary, as it says here, the mother of Jesus. But would you please notice a few other things? They are not praying to Mary. They are not praying through Mary. They are not worshiping Mary. Mary is praying with them to God. Okay? She, in fact, is not mentioned in the rest of the book of Acts. I just submit tonight that if Mary was central to what the church was to do and we were to pray through Mary, I would imagine she would show up a little bit more in the book of Acts. I thank God for Mary and what God did through her to bring the virgin, to have the virgin birth or Jesus to be born and so forth. But Mary herself confessed that she needed a Savior. If Mary confessed that she needed a Savior, that would indicate that Mary was a sinner. Just like you and I. Okay? Yep. And so she was not the mediator, so it would be wrong for us then. And if it were this way, I believe that we could go to the, to the epistles written to the churches to say, okay, now when you pray, pray to Mary, who will take that to Jesus, who will take that to the Father. Okay, notice uh, Peter's here, but they're not praying to Peter. They're not praying through Peter or any of the other saints that were there. It's like this. Every one of them had a personal relationship with God and they prayed directly to God. It's like they personally knew Him. It's like they individually were able to come into His presence without going through another man. <laughs> That's because they were all priests. The priesthood of the believer. That's why you and I don't have to pray through a priest or confess to another man or, or pray through another saint. We go directly to God. That's a good sight along the way. It's not our main destination, but it'll sure preach in the, in the journey. Some good eats, somebody might say. Right? <laughs> okay, now notice this also. Uh, his brothers were present. Did you see in the latter part of verse number 14? Are we doing all right? With his brethren. With his brethren. Now that could be just other disciples, but the way that this is worded, and most would agree that it's most likely dealing with his brothers. James. Jude, his brothers. Well, that would be to mean then that he had brothers. That would mean then that after Jesus was born, he being the oldest, how'd you like to grow up with him as the older brother? 
after he was born that Joseph and Mary went on to have normal relationships, husband and wife relationships, and they had kids. They had boys, and according to uh, Mark chapter 6, they also had girls. So Jesus had what we could maybe call half-sisters, or however you want to term that. He had sisters. Yep. So there's a lot of just uh, bad theology that is being corrected here by the Bible. Another thing that I think is worth pointing out here is that prior to Jesus' resurrection, his brothers did not believe him. They were skeptical. If you look in John chapter 7 and verse number 5, you'll see that they did not believe him. Here's a good point, just to point out on the way. Jesus did not give up on skeptics. Jesus did not give up on his lost family members. James would go on and be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Jude would write the book of Jude. Not Jude that's here at our church. Jude in the Bible. These are significant men. And yet at one time they were skeptical. But when they saw him resurrected, they could only believe. Don't give up on the skeptics. I'm telling you, I think if, if Theophilus was to slow this down like what we are right now, he, would, he could say this, wow. That gospel was powerful enough to change a man like Peter. That gospel was powerful enough to change a woman like Mary Magdalene who was, who was demon-possessed. That gospel of Jesus Christ was powerful enough to, to convert even his brothers who were skeptics and, and did not believe him. That's a powerful gospel. I'm glad to be on this side of it sharing it. That's what he could say. So that would uh, be one thing they did. They prayed. In order to prepare for the presentation of the gospel, they prayed. Number two, they sought God's guidance in who was to serve as a replacement for Judas. In verse 15 through 26. Would you notice who stands in verse number 15 to be the spokesman of the group? I like it. Peter. The one who had denied him. The one who had been restored. Peter. Peter stood up. And he spoke to the group that was there present, 120, about 120, Luke says. There were other believers than that, uh, more believers than that. Up in Galilee, it tells us that there was above 500 who were gathered in Galilee and saw him. But here in this gathering, there was 120 that were present in this church gathering. I, I found this to be true. You don't have to be a member of a large church for God to do great things for the sake of the gospel. Here's a church at this time running about 120. And God's about to do something amazing. The church I used to pastor in, uh, in Republic, Missouri, ran about 120. But we saw God do some amazing things there. I want to say this tonight. God's not against a big church. You say, well, I just don't believe churches ought to get that big. It's about to grow by 3,000. We had 1,900 and some odd today. We're falling shy of where they were. we got some room for growth. They're running 3,000. They're about to run 5,000. Wait a minute. I, I hear that sometimes. Well, I want to be a part of a smaller church so you get to know people. Look, okay, let me just clear off a spot real quick here. We, we're out of the car. We've got to get back in and get on our way. But I'm, I'm just saying, some people say that, you know, and then, but here's the deal. Uh, you only really interact with about 40 people in the course of your week. Whether you're in a church running 120, as I measured this out, 
generally on a weekly basis, I had contact, meaningful contact, with about 40 people. As I think about my week here, as, as many as I'd like to interact with on a regular basis, we don't get to have that kind of contact because we're in a larger church. But whether you're in a smaller church or whether you're in a larger church, you're going to be interacting with about 40 people. Stop and think about it. Count up how many people you talk to during the week. It's probably going to be about that many. So, you're in a large church. Get over it. Enjoy it. Is that all right? Yep. So, at this point, though, it's 120. Okay? So, then Peter um, says, now, this has happened as fulfillment of the Scripture. He believed in the inspiration of the Word of God. David wrote this, but it was really from the Holy Ghost. Do you see that in verse number 16? Uh, there's his belief in the in inspiration. He says this has happened because it was in Scripture. He goes to Psalm 69. It talks about uh, David's enemies there, but it's applied to Messiah's enemies. And then he also goes to Psalm 109, verse 8. Let his days be few and let another take his office. I remember the first time that somebody pointed that verse out to me is in the early 1990s under a certain president. And somebody pointed this verse out and said, well, maybe this could apply to him. Let his days be few and let another take his office. But that's not what the verse means, okay? So, but here Peter says, here's what this means. Let his days be few. His days were few. Judah's day, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Judas Iscariot's days were few and another needs to take his office. Peter says this was done in fulfillment to Psalm 109. He stood and said that. So Judas had to be replaced because he was not a believer. Did you catch it? He was not a believer. The Bible says in a, in a certain way in verse number 25 that he might go to his own place. That's a kind way of saying he didn't get to go to heaven. He went to his own place. You could be on a church roll, a member of a church gathering, and not go to the same place that church does. That's, that's sobering, should be sobering, but this is, uh, this is in reference to, to Judah, Judas, I'm sorry. Now, what about the 12? Can we talk about that here for just a moment? What about the 12? The 12 apostles, sometimes you'll even see it in John and also in Acts, the 12. That would indicate there was not the 13 or the 14 or the 15. There's the 12 apostles. Okay, why, why the 12? Well, first of all, in verse 21 and 22, the criteria, he says, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time of the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, when he went in and out among us from the baptism of John to the day that he was ascended. So here's the criteria. Whoever is to serve as an apostle has to have had been, been with us during this time frame. Number two, they have to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if, you're in, if your goal in life was to grow up and be an apostle, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. It's already been filled. I know that that's staggering to some, but there are characters in our day and time who claim to be an apostle. I'm talking about on TV. They say it in public where people can hear it. They write it in books. They send out letters. I'm apostle so-and-so. And she says this. <laughs> well, this settles it. There's no more apostles in this sense of the word. Now, Paul is going to be referred to as an apostle, and he's going, to be, he's going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians 15. We don't have to go, time to go into all this. But he's not an apostle in the sense that these were the 12. Okay, what's, so what's the significance of the 12 at this time? 
All right, let me make a few notes here. They did not replace national Israel. There are how many tribes of Israel? Twelve. So now there are twelve apostles, so it must be a spiritual Israel. Eh, Wrong answer. It's not a replacement for Israel. According to verse 6 and 7, he still has a plan for ethnic Israel and is going to work out that plan. So that's not it. Okay, is there an apostolic... Sorry, my voice is messing up again. Is there an apostolic succession? In other words, once these apostles pass off the scene, would there be other apostles who are going to be put in their place? Was Peter the first pope? And thus there would be more? More? After him? Well, I think we can settle that pretty quickly here. In Acts chapter 12 and verse number 2, one of the apostles, James, the brother of John, the sons of thunder, he's murdered, killed by Herod, and there's no replacement. He's forever the apostle. His death did not preclude his apostleship, but what about Judas's? His death seemed to preclude that, and he had to be replaced. He wasn't a believer. And thus he had to be replaced because there had to be 12 apostles. Why? Well, I believe there's two reasons. As I looked in the New Testament, I believe there's two reasons. Uh, Reason number one, one given by Jesus. Let's go back um, in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. We doing all right? A little bit of teaching here tonight, but I think it'll help us. Luke 22. And uh, let's go back to... um, Luke's previous word to Theophilus. And see what he said in Luke 22 and verse 28. There has to be 12 apostles. Why? Couldn't we just get by with 11? Not according to Jesus. Okay, while you're finding Luke 22, let me read you a verse out of Matthew 19. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall... Sit in the throne of his glory. Ye also, he's speaking to the twelve, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everybody catch that? How many tribes? Twelve. How many apostles? Twelve. Jesus said, in the eschaton, in the future, in the kingdom, there are going to be twelve thrones. You as the apostles are going to sit upon them and you're going to judge the twelve tribes of Israel. There has to be 12. Look in Luke 22. This is the equivalent uh, from Luke's gospel. Now, here's the ironic part of this. They were wanting position. Jesus said, don't get in a hurry about position. If you want position, serve people. But he's going to give them position. But it's not according to their time. It's according to his time. Luke 22 and verse 28 says, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's what Jesus said. He said, I don't understand all that. I don't, I don't understand how that's going to happen. That's okay. Jesus said it. He said, Some, there's coming a time when the 12 tribes are going to be judged and I'm going to set you up as the 12 apostles to be their judges. And thus, they had 11 They're minus Judas. They knew, given this, there has to be 12. So in the meantime, while they're getting ready to witness at the day of Pentecost, you can go back to Acts now, as they're getting ready to witness at the day of Pentecost, they prayed 
But in addition to praying, they realize there's only 11 of us. There needs to be 12. We cannot give witness. And it could be that they're thinking about the words of Jesus there, how that he said that there would have to be 12 in order to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. But I believe this would be reason number two. There are 12 tribes. God wants to give witness to those 12 tribes at the day of Pentecost. And thus they must have 12 before they move forward. So look in Acts, if you would, please. Acts in uh, chapter number 2 and uh, look at look at verse number 5. Let's do a few verse readings here. You ready? Acts 2 and verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every, what? Nation under heaven. Jews, but Jews of the diaspora, Jews that had been spread out, scattered because of the persecution and other things. They were scattered all over. But for the feast of Pentecost, from every nation, it says here, they had come back. Israel, whoa, wait a minute, check this out. Israel was present. Israel had a representation at the day of Pentecost. Okay, let me show you a couple other verses. Verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel, who, to whom does the gospel go first? Israel, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So God is saying here, the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I've ordained that it would go to Israel first. And so Peter is standing here in Acts chapter 2, as we shall see. And he is standing on that day saying, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah, Christ. That's exactly right. Let all Israel know. All right, a couple other verses. Um, look, if you would, at verse number 15. I'm sorry, 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11, so Peter, of course, would make number 12, lifted up his voice and said, Ye men of Judah and all that inhabit Jerusalem, be it known unto you and hearken unto my voice. And so he's going to explain what's happening there at the day of Pentecost. Look at verse number 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. What's going on? Here's what's going on. Pentecost was the feast of the harvest. Feast of first fruits. God is going to bring in a harvest. If you're going to bring in a harvest, you need harvesters. How many of you in the harvesters class? Okay, you're not the apostles, but I'm just saying, the harvesters. That's where that word comes from. There's a harvest. God is saying here there's going to be a spiritual first fruits. There's going to be a, an outpouring of the Spirit. The Spirit is given not for entertainment, the Spirit is given not for experience. The Spirit is given for the purpose of witness. So that the, the nations of Israel that are scattered about, the 12 tribes that are scattered about among the nations, at this one concise time, God says, look, church, I want you to prepare to present the gospel, and I want you to, present, to, to appoint a, a leader there to take the place of, of Judas, so that on that day you can stand together as 12 men who are 12 apostles giving witness to the 12 tribes of Israel, I want the gospel to go to Israel first. I'm about to bring in a harvest. I need harvesters. Therefore, appoint spiritual leaders. 
And that's why these men stood on that day. Because God was about to bring in the first harvest. So they knew that they needed this apostle. Here's what they did. They left the decision up to God. They left it up to God. They chose to follow the Lord. You might have caught this in verse, uh, we're at 23 and 24 now. Uh, you might have caught as they prayed, they said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men. It, they narrowed it down to two, Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said that, Lord, you know what these men's hearts are. You know who you have chosen. Who they leave the choice up to? The one who chose the first 11. The first 12, minus Judas. And so they're taking that decision back to the one to whom it rightfully belongs. Uh, another little place that we could stop off here to see uh, is simply this. They, as the church, did not operate independent of God's leadership, even though Jesus was not physically, bodily present with them. They still sought his matters. Watch this. They did not, they did not form a board. They did not consult a board that was above them. There was none. They were an independent, fundamental Baptist church that left the matter of the leadership up to God. How'd they do it? They cast lots. Why'd they cast lots? Because they believed that God cared and would reveal His will. Why did they cast lots, though? Well, the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet. You don't find them doing this anymore in the book of Acts. So what we're not supposed to do is cast lots. How did they cast lots? Well, some say that maybe they took one stone... And put Matthias' name on it or mark it for Matthias. M. I don't know. Well, that's in our language. And J on the other, Justice. Put them in a container. Shook that up. Shook it until one of them came out. That's how they, one way in which they cast lots. So you were to see how this thing was going to shake out. <laughs> and there it was. Not Justice, Matthias. Well, that seems strange. Well, yeah, this is a transitional book. This is not the way we're doing it now. The Holy Spirit of God leads and guides. Yep. But the point is this. When they were getting ready to give witness to the gospel, they did not come in with a blank board saying, what do y'all want to do? They did not poll the, the, uh, the cities of Jerusalem and other outskirts. They did not find out, what do you want in a church? Here's what they did. They started with the gospel because they knew that's what God gave them to do. And because that's what God gave them to do, then they prayed. And they left the matter of church leadership up to God. And once that was settled, then they went on and did other things for the sake of the gospel. But they started with the one to whom God, they got the gospel from. That would be from God. And they let God determine what to do. And God prepared the church then to give witness to the resurrection at that time. And I believe what God is doing now, if we will allow him, is that God on a week-to-week -week basis is preparing you and I as his church now to do one thing, to give witness to the gospel. Therefore, what should we pray? Well, I think we can learn from this that we need to seek the face of, and power of God. But here's what's different. We're not waiting for the Spirit of God to come upon us. We already have the Spirit of God. So what are we waiting for? 
Should we pray? Sure, we ought to pray. The, the epistles show us that we ought to pray. The examples of the apostles in the church shows us that we ought to be a praying church. Yes, we ought to pray, but we ought to witness and prayerfully witness and trust that God's mighty power will come upon his church as the church gives witness to the gospel. And leave church leadership up to God who's to be appointed here and there. All those things are very, very important. But I think the point that Theophilus was to get at this time was simply this. It did not matter what a mess that even these men had made. Peter had made a mess of his life, had denied the Lord. There was a hypocrite among them named Judas, but that did not stop the gospel. So if nothing stops the gospel, what we ought to do then is to set ourselves to pray, to trust God to lead the way, and then to go out there and just share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What a destination. What a journey. As we have occasion to go and share the gospel. So, what does all this mean in your life? That's in the life of our church. But what about your life? You've got some big days ahead. Some of you are not married. You want to be married? Some of you that do, you have to be quiet about it. That's okay. It's, it's a good thing. Some of you want to be married so bad that you went to the relationship class tonight. Five o'clock, college age. If you're youth, it's way too early even to think about that. Way, way too early. Here's what you should not do when you go about the business of figuring out who am I supposed to marry. Don't take just a blank board and say, wonder who I ought to get. And like cast lots. Put two names in a little box and shake it up. See which one hits the ground first. That's not in the relationship class. That's not even in my notes tonight. It shouldn't be a part of your life. You know what you ought to do? Do this. Start with the gospel. What? Start with the gospel. You're talking about courtship and dating and stuff, and you're starting with the gospel? Where'd you, what relationship book did you read? The Bible. (laughs) Start with the gospel. Question number one. Are they saved? That'll answer some questions right there. Question number two. Are they headed in the right direction in loving and serving the Lord? Do they care about the gospel? Well, man, that just narrowed it down to like two. Well, at that point, then cast lots. (laughs) Wrong application. Build a temple where there's only a tent, right? Okay. So what should you do? Well, you need to marry somebody. If you're this way, if you're this way, If you're saved and you care about the gospel, then you need to marry somebody who's saved and cares about the gospel. Get that settled and then start to pray and then trust God's leadership in your life. Does that make sense? Raising kids, 
Don't start with a blank page and say, wonder what kind of kids we ought to have. <laughs> Let's turn on TV and find out what kind of kids are on there. <laughs> Here's what you ought to do. The gospel. For raising kids, I know they need to be saved. I know they need to go to heaven. I know their past sins need to be forgiven. I know they need a home in heaven. But how does the gospel apply to parenting right now? Can you parent without the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, His power? Can you do? Absolutely not. Those kids need to see how that the gospel affects every part of their life. And thus you pray and you trust God's leadership regardless of what else you do in family life. What about my finances? Don't start with a blank page. What kind of finances should I have? Or what should I do with my finances? What do y'all want to do with your finances? Well, i tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to buy me a... <laughs> that how you talk? Uh, not how you talk, but I mean, how some go, I, I want to buy me a boat and motor and truck to pull that boat and motor and fishing rods. And I'm going to buy me a cabin. I'm going to buy me a... Well, that's all fine. All that's fine. There's not anything wrong. In fact, there's a lot of good things about fishing. <laughs> that's almost like gospel, isn't it? Somebody saying. <laughs> I believe this is the right starting place for your finances. Who died for you? Who ought to be the center of your life? And thus, I believe if we'll start, I know I need to tithe, but I care so much about the name of Jesus being named all over the world that I'm going to give, even sacrificially to missions, even if it means that I won't get that boat motor for another year. <laughs> but do you know how many fish I could catch if I got that, had that boat motor? Well, why do you need that big of a boat motor in the first place? Well, I want to be the first one there to them. That's what my dad used to say. He had a, about a 20-some foot uh, aluminum boat, lightweight aluminum boat out of Arkansas, and put 150 Black Max on it. 150 horse. I mean, it's just like, woof. It's like having a trolling motor on a frying pan. You know what I mean? It's just like, woof. Dad, why do we need that big of a motor? I want to be the first one there to those crappie. <laughs> Well, not a thing wrong with having a big motor and big boat and all those things. But look, here's what I, I want us to get. Start with the gospel. Pray about your finances. Follow God's leadership with your finances. And watch God do great things, even with your finances, for the sake of the gospel. And we could go to a lot of other areas. But this is what they did then. I believe it's what we ought to do now. Live our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, tonight, thank you. I pray that you would prepare your church to give witness to the gospel. I confess, as pastor of this church, I can get busy and distracted and not be prepared to give witness to the gospel like I ought to. And I want to, I really do. I want to and be involved in personal soul winning. God, help me. And I pray for everybody in here that they'd see how that their lives connect to, how that their marriage ought to sit around, center around Jesus Christ and His resurrection. In our finances and in our parenting, 
God, in all these areas and more, that uh, you would help us to center our lives on the gospel. Love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together tonight?